You want to know a fun fact? Yes. I had an alligator as a pet when I was little. No way. <laughs> I swear. What? How big? Uh, we, so my dad had like a hunting camp and we caught him there or my dad caught him. He was probably like, I don't know, a foot long when we got him. And eventually he got to like two feet, three feet. And like we were putting him in the swimming pool. And then my dad decided like, he's probably getting dangerous. We should bring him back to the swamp. (laughs) (laughs) Bring him back to the swamp. Okay. (laughs) We're totally going to start the show with that. Welcome to Stand Up Pedal Action. Uh, welcome everybody to Supa. Uh, today, what what a treat we have. Um, so Lacey Rivette is, did I say that right? Yes. Right. Okay. <laughs> Lacey Rivette is here's joining us in studio. She is a, a local coach with Fast Cat Coaching and a registered dietitian. Also a social media extraordinaire for both COS Racing and Fast Cat. And uh, sounds like some other things as well. Uh, <laughs> so you you race bikes, and sounds like you do both mountain and road. Mm, gravel. I'm not much of a roadie. Okay. Okay. Fair. <laughs> All right. I have fair. a road bike, but I don't really use it. We we aren't either, to be honest. Oh, are my kind of people. It, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we're talking about. <laughs> it is a mountain bike show, after all. <laughs> and uh, you know, I don't know a ton about your backstory, but I did hear that you kind of started in the gymnastics realm. Yeah. I was wondering how that transferred to biking, like backflips. It didn't, it didn't yeah, at all, no except for my work no. ethic. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, all right, all right. <laughs> totally different spectrum. I was never an endurance athlete when I was younger. So how, how did that start, though? Was that just like kind of standard, all the kids in town are going to pick a sport, and your parents are like, here, you're going to try gymnastics, go for it? Uh, not really. My parents really gave me, like, the ability to do whatever I wanted, and I, like... I started in like artistic gymnastics, which is like the bars and the beam. And like I was good at it and I liked it. I loved everything about gymnastics, but it didn't, it just didn't stick. And I mean, I have so much energy, if you can't tell already. So my parents, we, we noticed. <laughs> they put me in like a, a summer camp, like a gymnastic summer camp. And they had an acrobatic gymnastic team at that gym. And I saw them and I was like, they're doing flips and shit. Like, they're, this chick is throwing another girl in the air and catching her. Like, I want to do that. And that was Wait, when I was... did you want to be the girl caught or getting... I didn't really or know Or doing the, the catching, time. you just didn't care? I did a little bit of both. Uh, ended up being a base at the end of it. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. as you get older and taller. And, um, but yeah, I started that when I was like nine or 10. I think I took one year off and I did that until I was like 22. So like my... Oh, wow. Just... I quit like the soft the year, my sophomore year of college. And so. at what had you been competitive like in that? Like were you guy were you and your yeah. team like state national like what level or? So I won nationals twice. Um, that was level seven and eight. We my partner, uh, which is kind of ironic, she ended up getting an eating disorder. We were like every all of the coaches like across the U.S. were like wanting us to go elite, and we had the skills. And it's just like you know it wasn't meant to be. And I think she carried um, that burden for a long time. And not it was like a year ago, probably, that she reached out to me. And I was like, look, like, everything happens for a reason in life. Like, no, I might not be in Colorado right now if I would have been, you know, had continued to pursue that. Uh, but, yeah, it was a huge part of my life for a long time. I was not the typical, like, teenager. I didn't drink. I didn't go out. I mm-hmm. didn't do anything because I was committed to training. Wow. Um. But yeah, like some of the best years of my life. And again, a lot of great friends that I made through that. So. 
Was this all in Louisiana? Yeah. So there's not many uh, acrobatic gymnastics teams there. I think there's like three or four. So most of them are in California and like Maryland and a bunch of other states. So I was definitely, I got, <laughs> my friends used to call me like the clown because like I was going to go to like the Circus LA or whatever. Oh. Because uh, bend myself in half, which I can barely even do a back bend anymore these days. Uh, I can't either. That's yeah. a product of like being on the bike all the time. No, there's a thing in mountain biking called the scorpion, but I think that's different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the scorpion you don't want to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. Very different. <laughs> so while you were in that up till, you know, 22, were you thinking this is going to be my life? Yeah. Like I actually went to college getting a, I, until my sophomore year, my major was business because I wanted to open up my own gym and like mm -hmm. be able to have my own team. and. Yeah, and that's kind of, I had like a super early midlife crisis, I would call it, because, you know, my partner got the eating disorder. And like with acrobatic gymnastics, it's the bond between your partner. Like you have, like I knew her, I knew what she was going to do before she did it. And like that bond takes a really long time. And by the age of uh, 22, like I'm not starting over, you know? Yeah. Um. So when I quit that, it was like, oh, do I want to do business anymore? I don't think I want to do business anymore. Like, what am I going to do with my life? I feel lost. <laughs> like, And so that was kind of, um, we were talking about sharing all of my backstory. That's when my eating disorder started. So I had switched from business to nutrition. And I've always been a nutrition nerd. Like, obviously, fueling well was a huge part of my um, acrobatic gymnastics career. And I loved it. And, like, when people think eating disorders, they think, like, oh, you think you're fat. Like, you want to look like other girls, like X, Y, Z. And mine was not anything like that. Um, I just knew so much. And I, I also, there's so many, like, factors. But when I was 22, so it was not long after I quit Acker, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition. And it's called mixed connective tissue disease. But... That doesn't really matter. I was trying to basically figure out, like, is my diet, like, messing up my immune system? So I tried everything. And in the process, over two or three years, I went from, like, 120 pounds to, like, 83 pounds. Um, Whoa. But when people think eating disorder, they think that you're, like, you're not eating th anything all day. And mm -hmm. that was one of my really big struggles is because all of, like, the doctors and, like, the dietitians, like they stereotyped me and they were like, you know, you're probably making yourself throw up, which if anybody cares to know, like I've thrown up like twice in my life that I can ever remember. Uh, I have a huge paranoia. So like that really rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. And like they just made so many assumptions about me. And I was like, I'm a huge number person. Mm. And, and so this dietitian was trying to tell me that. And I like broke out like a piece of paper and I was like, look at this. I was literally like 150 calorie deficit a day for like two or three years. And that's why I'm so skinny. I'm Wait, like, that that little that little. 150 a day yeah. you had it down to that point yeah it was that little like i was so in tune with how much i was eating but like with exercise you can't say exactly how many calories you're burning right mm -hmm. so i was like i attract everything like that's eating disorders like you're obsessed with it um and yeah so like i got so annoyed like they were trying to put me in in inpatient treatment which is basically like they watch you 24 7 and and like for me like Inpatient treatment is a great solution for a lot of people, and it really, it helps them to recover. But I knew for me that this, the problem was way deeper, and it was because I didn't have a purpose anymore. Like, I didn't know, you know what I mean? Like, 
I didn't have that community of people that I used to have when I was in Acro. I didn't have like a reason to like have that drive. And it was like I graduated college and I think it was the winter of that year. And I met my partner at the time and really he got me into to cycling and met this great small community of people because there's not many <laughs> cyclists in Louisiana, much less mountain bikers. Um, Where were you going to school, by the way? Uh, I went to LSU. Okay. I was going to, I mean, I didn't want to just say, was this at LSU? But yes. I mean, that's kind of the presumption. Go Tigers. Yeah, there we go. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it just, it completely changed my life. Like I found those people. I had a purpose again. I could talk about my struggles and I knew for me, like that was, that was what I needed. And it was true. Like, I mean, all the doctors were like, you shouldn't ride bikes. Like you're going to, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to make your eating disorder worse and so much criticism. And I remember I'd been riding bikes for like six or seven months and I'd put on like probably 10, 12 pounds. And I used to work at Trader Joe's at the time. And the dietitian that told me, you know, that I was starving myself came in and like, I just like looked at her and I just gave her a little smirk and like, <laughs> <laughs> like, make assumptions about me and I'll prove you wrong. Yeah. Um, so now this is, this is kind of interesting because it sounds like many people would associate um, eating disorders with activities like gymnastics, mm -hmm. like just in the Most abstract. Definitely. And some people might say it's kind of out of the frying pan into the fire because in cycling, we have yet again, another sport where mm -hmm. managing your weight can be something where people get really obsessive. But it sounds like what I'm hearing is a little more that your struggles were sort of in the gap between those two. Yes. Okay. So I I was recovering as I found cycling. Like I mm -hmm. was in that process and cycling just like amplified it. Uh, I think it probably took me like two years. It was slow and like steady, but I think that's what's helped me to be able to stay healthy and like to not go back into that mindset. Like I... Honestly, I would not ever wish it on my worst enemy. It's it was probably the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life. Um, but in retrospect, again, I wouldn't change it. Now, being a cycling coach and you know working with athletes all the time and being a dietitian, I can see it before they even know what's happening. So it really gives me a perspective that a lot of people don't have, and I can really like help open athletes' eyes to like your weight doesn't define you like, mm -hmm. and a lot of times losing weight, like it can be great for some people, especially like older athletes who are a little bit overweight. Um, but a lot of times it can harm your performance. Like you can't train well and race well if you're in a calorie deficit, like it just doesn't happen. So yeah, I really think it was like a blessing in disguise. So what might be a couple of those things that you say you can identify before anybody else? Because one of the things that I think often happens is Somebody finally says, hey, I've got an eating disorder. I need to deal with this. And all their friends are like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Yeah. Or we didn't see it coming. We maybe wondered. So in the interests of <laughs> maybe helping people identify either in themselves or in others they know, what are some of the things that you see now that you wouldn't have seen before? Um, an obsession with like thinking that if they get to a lower weight, like they're always talking about like, I need to cut this out and that out. And like, they're just hyper focused on food also mm -hmm. um anxiety like anxious around food even it doesn't even have to necessarily be about food either just anxiety in general um avoiding social situations kind of like isolating a little bit more it it really like eating disorders and like food deprivation it changes your mind mm -hmm. like i wasn't even the same person 
then as I am now because my brain just thought differently. I was anxious all the time. But I think the biggest thing for me is just when I talk to athletes and I just like, you know, I ask open-ended questions and I can tell by the way that they answer questions or like their habits, like weighing their food or, you know, weighing themselves every single day or every other day. And yeah, it's just that hyper-focus on like their weight and everything they're consuming and they're losing that balance. Like they're not enjoying food anymore. And I yeah. mean, food's meant to be enjoyed. Food's delicious. It is. You know what I mean? So it's just like, it becomes like a routine. Like they have to do everything to a T and that's a huge red flag. And I don't want to take the entire spectrum of the challenges with eating disorders and smash it down into just one <laughs> little question, but is there a difference in how non-athletes or athletes find themselves in a position of challenges with diet and weight? I think with athletes, it usually comes down to like performance factors. And, mm. you know, I mean, cyclists, we wear like super tight fitting clothes. And so people, and then social media too. And they just want to look like these pro elite athletes and like whose job is to ride their bikes and recover and eat well. They don't have all these other stressors. So I think from an athlete perspective, it usually comes in terms of performance. And like I said, that's not always the case. Uh, I think one thing for me was that like I felt insignificant, like mm -hmm. my life, I didn't have any significance. So it's like I, I tried to like reflect that and like how I ate, which is so messed up. Uh, and it took me a long time to understand that. Um, but I think in all eating disorders, that can be a factor, especially for non-athletes. Like they're just, you know, they're lost in life. They don't have a purpose. They're depressed. And that's just, it's like, it's almost like you're, trying to hurt yourself without hurting yourself yeah um and yeah a lot of people don't even realize they're doing it until after the fact well and often the descent into depression or any other form of mental illness of any kind that is manifest in you know stuff that ends up being self-harming mm -hmm. is real slow it is very slow yes and subtle yeah for you if we can ask yeah most definitely. was there do you remember looking back like, was there any, what was the point when you said, wait a minute, this isn't heading in the right direction? Um, when my family started to get concerned, like that was, I love my family more than anything. And like to see people I loved be like worried for me, that was just like, like I wasn't okay with that. And also just, it started to impact my ability to like socialize and like, and then so that just spiraled, like, you know, it makes it go even further. And so um, two of my friends, actually, they had suffered from eating disorders and were recovered. And so like, they also made assumptions about me and it was out of love. Like they love me and having to argue with them about stuff to like justify myself. I was like, this is not okay. Like I, I'm not an argumentative person. Don't like confrontation. And so like when that happened, I was just like, you know, Lacey, you should probably get your shit together <laughs> and figure this out once mm -hmm. and for all. It sounds like you dealt with a lot of assumptions, like what you're oh, saying yeah. from people who just thought they knew what was going on. And now, I, I guess the biggest question I want to know is, what was most helpful for you in that time? The like, people. The people? Yeah. I think, like, I'd slowly made a little bit of progress on my own before I found cycling, but it was just, and like, they never, they never questioned me. Like, um... Obviously, me and my partner at the time were not together anymore, but like 
he never like you know made those assumptions it was just like I'm another person riding my bike and like let's go for a ride let's go race and like I it made me feel normal and like accepted and all my friends back home that rode like they accepted me and like just like feeling like a part of something it it gave me purpose again and like I didn't feel self-conscious and like it like I said it just slowly over time went away it seems like understanding is one of the things that is, is, could be really beneficial and something that it's hard to grasp from the outside mm-hmm. like that the whole world of eating disorders is just I feel so misunderstood yeah and I I just have a tiny little perspective on it yeah people are like why don't you just eat just eat and I'm like oh my gosh it's not it's not just that easy to just so eat more. like mm-hmm. yeah so is is there anything that you would uh, like encourage other people with like if you you know of people in your life who are going through this kind of thing what are things that we can do as outsiders to support them to just talk to them like don't a- don't ask like questions where it sounds like you're assuming um just ask opening questions like talk to them go take them to do something that has nothing to do with food you know what I mean like a lot of eating disorders come from depression and like that lack of community and like Sometimes they might try to like isolate and like make excuses and like just try to encourage them. Like, yeah, it's so much about community and just being heard and being understood. Um, I think that was the thing for me. Like, I started riding my bike and these people listened to me and they didn't ask questions. Like, they just, they were like, you're, you can get through it. Like, you're, you're determined and you're strong. And like, just having that encouragement and rather, somebody questioning me like empowered me and I was like hell yeah like I can do this and like I think too because you usually don't hear what people were finding cycling and recovering it usually makes it worse and I was like I'm gonna prove that that uh assumption wrong (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that's um that is something that I was a, a little curious about because yeah I didn't having only barely heard about your story from what little bit of research josh and i got to do before the show <laughs> i'm sure my, my instagram gave uh, y'all a lot uh, of information it helped. yeah it turned out that was a treasure trove of <laughs> information about you um yeah i i had didn't have the chronology <clears throat> excuse me didn't have the chronology of when you had been struggling versus when you were in cycling because that is obviously the idea of somebody getting down to knowing almost you know to the calorie and the gram of what they are eating day in day out over time planning like that's but it's not that far removed from what you hear of a lot of people especially in the endurance end of cycling Mm -hmm. where they're planning well this is where i want to be six months out so my entire training schedule is planned and i basically could tell you what i'm going to eat on thursday six months from now (laughs) because i have to be that regimented yeah so how do you now or how would anyone make sure they're on the right side of that line especially as they want to push their performance in cycling I think it's just about giving yourself grace and when everything doesn't go as planned, like cyclists, especially pro level cyclists, like they're, they plan everything, like you're saying. And Mm -hmm. like, that's okay. Some people like eating disorders do have a genetic factor too. Like addiction runs in my family. And so like everybody isn't as predisposed to it as other people are. So some people will never fall into like that cycle of an eating disorder Um, but yeah, I think it really just comes down to like giving yourself grace, like being able to remember that food's meant to be enjoyed. It's like 
its culture, its community. And yeah, you can have goals and you can work towards those, but you just can't be like, don't be so strict all the time. And don't let it interfere with your relationships with other people. Yeah. So has this experience really bolstered your passion for nutrition? It is. It was a hard like process. So like, obviously I graduated with my um, undergrad nutrition dietetics. And after you do that, you have to do uh, an internship, which if anybody cares to know, they're unpaid and they cost like $10,000 at least. Oh, they're paid in experience. Yeah. yeah. yeah not, not for me because I didn't want to do clinical and it was almost all clinical. Oh, so, oh. But it was just something I had to check off my list. Um, so I actually, I couldn't, I couldn't do that as soon as I graduated. I knew I wasn't in the right headspace. I knew like, you know, people are going to look at me and like, don't listen to her talking about nutrition. She obviously doesn't know what she's talking about. And so I was like, that was really hard for me, but it was in that year and a half that I took off that, you know, I moved across the country. I found cycling, like my life completely changed. And then I was in that headspace again where I could pursue that. Um, but yeah, it was a long, it, it took me a long time to be able to have that healthy relationship with talking about food and teaching others how to treat their bodies and how to fuel well. Um, yeah, that it all took a long time. Like it was just like a learning process the whole time for me. And some might say from the outside that people get into a bad space in nutrition because they lack the knowledge about what they're putting in their body. Like they're just not well versed in the actual nutrition content of their food. But in this case, you were not in that space. No, I knew everything about it. (laughs) Like like I said, I love food and love cooking ever since I was little. Um, But there is definitely like, I want to say, I forget what the the statistic is of like how many like dietitians or people who study nutrition actually suffered at one point or another with an eating disorder. Hmm. It's because mm-hmm. when you have all of this knowledge, it's so hard not to become like fixated on it. So it's really about having that knowledge and knowing how to balance it with like life and stress and friends and relationships. You know what I mean? So yeah, for me that took a, probably longer than most people, but I know there are many other dietitians out there that have been through similar situations. Gotcha. And there are some situations in life that when you go through them, especially in the, in the space of mental illness, there's a big spectrum that once you've been down a pretty dark alley, the rest of your life, you're very aware of it. Mm -hmm. And it feels like you're almost inoculated as it were against that kind of challenge, because from a mile off, you can see and say, wait, I know what that was. I'm not going there. And there's other cases where you are more susceptible to stepping back into those darker places. Yeah. Thankfully, I think I'm in the former and not the latter. Um, I've seen many of people like relapse and it like it breaks my heart. Uh, but that was one of the reasons I didn't want to do the inpatient treatment. Like I wanted to if it, I didn't care if it took me a year, three years, five years. I wanted to find recovery in a way that would never lead me back to where I started. And yeah, I think inpatient treatment for a lot of people can be triggering because it they basically force you to eat and you gain, I don't know, 20 pounds in however short period of time. And I knew for me, like that would probably trigger me. And so I was like, that's, it's not the solution for me. And so I pursued recovery in a different way. Um, But like I said, inpatient treatment can be such a great option. I mean, I did therapy and therapy was great, like to just learn how to open up and to talk about my struggles and not to be ashamed of them and to understand my thought processes. Like when Mm -hmm. you're younger, it's hard to understand. You mean, you get so much wiser as you get older that like, well, you hope. <laughs> I mean, I hope so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could do dumber things. Like, I do, I still, like, 
if we're talking about mountain biking, like I'll, I'll do something really dumb and it sucks and then I'll go mm-hmm. do it again. Why? Yeah. I don't know. But, um, that's cause that's mountain biking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, as far as like my mental health goes, that was, that's not the case. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just knowing how far I've come, like I never want to go back there. Yeah. One last question before we move on from this, if we do, but certainly one I wanted to ask <laughs> is we recently had uh, Kelly Williams in the show. She's a nurse here in town. Um, used to run for Col- or, um, UCCS. And she talked on the show a little bit about the challenges of eating disorders on the team. And that even as she sort of circled around the cha- that darkness, she part of what took her out was a friend who took her out for a run. And she, in Palmer, I believe she said, right here around the corner. And... It was basically on that run and a couple of subsequent ones that she realized that she had to be strong mm-hmm. to be able to perform the way she wanted. It wasn't about being yep. so light that you could be fast enough and that if you're going to be strong, you got to eat. Yeah, it's so true. That was the one of the hugest driving factors for me to eat because I, I knew from like my nutrition background, like I can't perform and race well if I'm like basically my body's starved. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people think when you lose weight, you get faster, but I'm here to tell you, like I gained weight and I got a lot faster. So, yeah. <laughs> and you know, I recovered better. I could go for longer. Uh, I remember like when I first started, it was definitely still a struggle for me like to not use exercise as like a coping mechanism basically to like burn mm-hmm. off everything I ate. Um, so yeah, I would have rides sometimes and I'm just like, I can't even focus on like the road in front of me because like all I can think about is food. You know, I'm like just so like out of it. And once I started to like realize like, oh my God, like I am like doing an interval. I feel great. Like I'm so hyper aware of my surroundings. I feel safe. And I was like, I don't want to ride when I feel like crap again like that. Why did I do that to myself? Like that's torture. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, not having to worry about every ounce of food I put in my mouth when I'm riding. It's just like, I need to eat. I'm getting, I'm, I'm feeling the bump coming. Got to Mm -hmm. Gotta get rid of it. Um, So, yeah, being able to fuel to, like, support my performance was a huge factor. So I think that's one of the things that actually kind of scares me is, like, what if, like, cycling got taken away from me? Like, how would I view food? And I think I would still have a healthy relationship with it, but it would be a lot harder than it is now. Yeah. Um, So I just pray that I never get put in that situation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we all hope things similar. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful thing in life. I mean cycling is like it's how i keep myself sane and i think that's true for a lot of athletes like it's you know i get out on my bike and all of that like chatter and noise in my head it all just goes away and like i have clarity and it's it's a huge part of my day and like if i can't go ride sometimes i'm kind of grumpy like (laughs) i think we can all attest to that though yeah oh yeah i would love to hear more about your cycling journey like when you got started in it Mm -hmm. was it like straight to competition? So I got a bike, a single speed, because, you know, there's no hills in Louisiana. Right. <laughs> well, you would be for great friends with my boyfriend. He loves single speed. <laughs> he's a freak. Um, <laughs> I love him. He's a freak. Um, but so I rode that for probably like five or six months. And my partner at the time, like we would go out and do like four hour rides. And I mean, in Louisiana, you do four hours and it's like 300 feet of climbing. So like the single speed right. is fine. Um, but he was like, one day he was doing a race. He was like, you want to come? And I was like, sure. And so it was out in Texas and 
a couple of our friends were there and they had an extra bike. And he's like, you're going to do the pre-ride with us. And I was like, all right. And, you know, I didn't fall. And, it, like, we got done. He's like, all right, you race the next day. And I was like, all right. <laughs> it sounds like this was a well-hidden but well-thought-out plan on his part. It could have been. I love a challenge. Um, I'm getting that picture. Yeah, yeah. Give me anything. Like, say I can't do it, I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I might fail when I'm trying to do it the first couple times, but I'll try. Um, but, yeah, my, I did, like, the 25-miler, and they all did the 50. And so, like, my goal was just to finish before them and not to, like, break myself. Mm-hmm. And I accomplished both. And, it, it like, I never looked back after that. Like, I was hooked. What, was this mountain bike? Yeah. Okay. So, I, I don't think – I've raced, like, a road race. I've only done one. Um, and that was, like, after, like – eight months of training. I tried it, hated it. Uh, I can recall, like I was like drafting. I was like in like, the Peloton and the person behind me, like tried to look behind them to like, to try to like, I guess mm. they were trying to pass me or something. And they skimmed my back wheel. And all I heard was like skin to pavement, like carbon on concrete. And like, all I could think the entire race was like, holy shit, that was my fault. And it, thankfully like somebody like I don't know, we're probably two thirds of the race was like, just so you know, like that wasn't your fault. And I was like, oh my God, thank God. But I was like, after that, I was like, "Mm, nah, not my thing. (laughs) You know, that's hilarious because everybody that I know that is not in mountain biking, you know, those of us who are in cycling, we know hitting the deck on the road is bad news. Yes. But everyone else is like, what's wrong with you? Why would you go ride on a trail full of rocks and trees? You're going to get hurt. No, I'm like, if I'm going to fall, it's going to be my own fault, not somebody else's. Like, no. Oh yeah, also road 10, falls, hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> way worse. Ten miles an hour, way better on than dirt. thirty. Yeah, on dirt. On con- dirt yeah. is so much better than concrete. But uh, gravel is actually pretty forgiving. <laughs> I like gravel. It's yeah. really well, fun. Or the kitty litter that we have here, you, you just, just fall into a chute. And you just got dirt slide. surf. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> dirt <laughs> surf. That's what I call it. Um, Love it. But yeah, so I did that race, and then I did a couple more local races. I think maybe like two, mm-hmm. and then my my partner was like you should race nationals. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, okay, I think. And yeah, so I went there. Funny story. I obviously had no technical skills because I was in Louisiana. And mm-hmm. I, at that point, I didn't even have my own mountain bike because I couldn't afford one uh, with college and all of that. And so I would ride his bike and I was doing the pre-ride and I just ate shit like it was off camera trail and like i like took my jersey off like wrapped my leg ended up getting like seven or eight stitches in my leg and then raced the next day Whoa. <laughs> yeah so i i mean i ended up getting fourth which was like mind-blowing to me at nationals yeah and i was like you know so we're not talking fourth out of four here <laughs> no i mean it wasn't like a yeah, huge yeah. deal it's women's it's women's marathon nationals so but yeah like i was like i kind of like this um and i recall there vividly uh amy beisel who i'm really good friends with now uh she won the pro category and i was like she is so legit i want to be friends with her like where does she live i want to go there i want to train with her and be that fast (laughs) (laughs) and um yeah it not too long after that i was supposed to race like bump and grind in alabama and ended up getting chicken pox at the age of 25 um late starter on a couple of things then yeah you know claims I had the chicken box vaccine. My doctor was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you didn't. And I was like, you know, uh, based on how I look right now, I'm going to um, yeah. concur with that because <laughs> I definitely did not. Um, 
And I've always been, I call myself like a lightweight, like I don't really drink. And so anytime I take any kind of medicine or like drink, like I immediately get tipsy. <laughs> I took like two Benadryls mm-hmm. and somehow or another convinced my partner at the time that we needed to move to Colorado to train and ride bikes. And two weeks later, I was moving. So. Wait, hold on. <laughs> Did you just say that you moved to Colorado because you got the chicken pox? Basically, that's what I, I mean... I, maybe it would have happened eventually, but like, I just like somehow convinced him like that night he had like applied for like two jobs and like two days later they called him and like, Hey, you want to start in two weeks? And I worked at Trader Joe's at the time and great company, like phenomenal company. And I remember I'm such a homebody. Like I love my family. And so like, that was like super scary for me. And I, his name is Bobo. If you're listening to this, Bob. I give you credit. Um, I was just so like, I was like, I shouldn't do it. Like, I'm so scared. And I went up to him and was like, should I do it? And he was like, Lacey, you need to do it. And that's all he said. And I was like, all right, I'm doing it. And <laughs> uh, Trader Joe's like, you can relocate. Mm-hmm. I didn't know at the time how hard it was. Uh, I'm a, that sounds like I'm bragging, but I, I'm a really hard worker. And I had like moved up. I um, managed many like different sections of the store and so like my boss put in like a great word for the um, the one up here in Colorado Springs, and I ended up getting the transfer and I got there and I remember my boss was like, "Well, congrats, you." There's like three of us. You three are the three of 100 about 175 that applied to get transferred here. Whoa. And I was like, "Oh, I had no idea. Like I just thought like it was like an easy process." And I was like, "Holy crap! Like the stars literally aligned for me." Um. So yeah, like everything's meant to be. Like. I moved to Colorado and my life changed. For the, it was the dumbest, craziest decision I've ever made. And but, on drugs, apparently. Yeah, just Benadryl, though. You know, well, still. Light drugs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> party drugs. Um, <laughs> but yeah, best decision ever made. Wow. And how many years have you been here now? Uh, a little bit over three. I was going to say, can't be that long. We haven't had the Trader Joe's for that long. We just now started letting the lines taper down. Yeah, I so love did you, did you dive into the cycling community here right away? Um, not initially. I think yeah, I was here for a couple months, and then I joined Cox Racing. Didn't really do a ton of stuff with them. It wasn't until um, me and my partner I had broke up. When I don't even know when that was. Um, but like right before that, I had actually I remember so vividly. I have a picture of it actually because I took a picture. Um, I was riding up Gold Camp. And I saw this group of chicks and I was like, what? This like chicks out here like ride like with other chicks and like go shred. Like this is so rad. Ah. And <laughs> one of them actually was Rachel Beisel. And like I remember like pedal up to her and like she introduced herself and I was like, Beisel. I'm like, do you do you, do you know like Amy Beisel? And she was like, Yeah, that that's my sister-in-law. And I was like, shut up. Uh, <laughs> I think it was like Kelly Emmett was there. There's a couple different um yeah, just a couple different girls. And like, I remember I got done with it. And I was like, this is so rad. And it wasn't probably for another, I don't know, six months or so. But Rachel would invite me to like go do like wine night with them. Like, if y'all don't know Rachel, like Rachel, she loves to bring people into the cycling community to like help them find jobs. Um, me and her actually did like a bunch of like adventures last year and started what we call it Babs Outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we have like a Slack channel and like a YouTube channel. And it's just so incredible. Like we had this huge community of girls, some from Denver, like all over. And we just coordinate stuff and like go hang out with other rad chicks and like, you know what I mean? Encourage them to push their boundaries and 
yeah, it's it's so awesome. Uh, and I never at that point when I was ran into the Mongol camp would have foreseen all of that happening. But um, eventually I started riding with Rachel and Amy uh, probably mm, like a year after I'd moved here. And that's when my technical skills got good. Like, And you're not on the single speed at this point, I'm guessing. No, absolutely not. I ended up uh, when after October after I moved here, I got my own bike. What was that first mountain bike? Uh, it's still my my mountain bike. Ooh. Can't afford a new one. I, you know, I mean, there's something I got a road bike, drive bike, mountain mm-hmm. bike. Like maybe next year I'll be able to afford to get another mountain bike. There maybe. we go. Um, but it's just it's a Norco. It's a uh, very cross country mountain mm-hmm. bike. Like I, I was telling you earlier, like it has a dropper post, but like I, I learned without one, and like I put it on there and I never used it, and so it's ballast. It's what? It's ballast. It's just extra weight for the downhills. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, when I'm racing, a lot of the races I do, I don't, it, they're not like super gnarly. Like we did a 24 hour race this year and I didn't need a dropper post for that. So I took it off and like, I haven't put it back on. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> to the agony of a lot of my friends. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. What, what race was that? The 24 hour one. Uh, it was 24 hours in Enchanted Forest. So I, okay. So like I, a lot of people say that I'm fast and like I am fast, but I, I don't claim to be like super fast or anything, but I'm racing with Rebecca Gross, uh, like cyclocross national or like, mm-hmm. um, world masters, whatever. Incredibly fast. Amy who like still, like she doesn't have to ride her bike and she is just always forever fast. Like she used to race, you say at world cups and like incredibly fast. And then there's Rachel who like claims she doesn't have the sports jeans, but she's incredibly stupidly fast. Also race pro. And so like, here's me. And I'm like, I have to make my bike as light as possible. So I, my lap times aren't significantly slower than theirs. <laughs> like if I can do them like five minutes, like I'll be happy, but like, I got to make my bike as bike as light as possible. <laughs> so yeah, I was, I think that was the main driving factor. If I would have been with people that were probably my like speed, mm-hmm. I might've left it on, but maybe not. I don't know. There's nothing quite like getting to Colorado and getting suckered into riding with people who they themselves claim, oh, yeah, I'm not that fast. No, don't worry. Just come out for the ride. And then you find out later that they, yeah, raced pro somewhere. They're total strutters. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, I don't mind that. Like, when I was in Louisiana, I rode with dudes for the most part. And Mm -hmm. as a kid, like, all the people, they were all guys. So I grew up around guys. And so if I get dropped, like, I don't get mad about it. Like, I look at it as a way, like, it pushes me to get better. Yeah. And like Amy and Rachel would drop me, but they always waited on me. And if there was a section that like I didn't know how to ride or I was scared of, like they'd walk me through it. They'd give me pointers and like that encouragement. And also just seeing other girls ride something technical is totally different than when a girl watches a guy do it. Like I watch. Why? I don't because like y'all dudes, y'all just like chunk yourself off of things like You'll have no like fear yeah, by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Just, well, yeah you know, <laughs> you're just like that, that fear factor isn't there for y'all and so when i see them and like they're a little bit cautious and then like they roll it and i'm like well maybe i can do that um so yeah i mean it took like a year but like i went from barely (laughs) barely riding in ute valley to like shredding like jones park and like um captain jacks and what's the i always forget is it danny's that goes off the side of captain jacks yeah. I remember the first time I went down that, like, I almost shit my pants. And, like, now I went down <laughs> I went down the other day, and I was with Amy, and, like, she, like, she got off the bike, and I got, I'm, like, at the bottom, like, looking up, and I'm, like, what are you doing? Like, come on. And my boyfriend was, like, I, I hate that trail. And I was, like, that was so rad. Come on. Let's go do it again. And they're, like, no. Mm-mm. I was, like, dang it. Uh, that's excellent. <laughs> that's fantastic. 
No, that, that's something I've, I've always wondered about because many, many women will get into cycling and then they get to that point where the technical level gets up to a, a certain threshold. And for some reason, few get through that barrier. And I've always, as a dude, since I'm a dude, <laughs> I've always wondered why. Um, I think it's just very intimidating. And like, they don't have somebody there like walking them through it and like encouraging them. They don't have a girl walking yeah, them there through yeah. it. Yeah, that's why like I really try to take any of my friends that get into the sport, like I'm like, let's go session. Like, let's go. Mm -hmm. I went the other day with my friend, totally brand into mountain biking. It was like her third time ever. Her first time, by the way, we took her down Williams. She walked Ooh. most of it, but she walked it <laughs> like a champ. And she, oh. you know, she pushed her boundaries a little bit. And like, just like it, that has such an impact on girls. And I think for me, the biggest thing is I'm very hard headed. So mm. I, if I get to a section and like people are like ride it, ride it, ride it, and like I'm too scared, like I'm not afraid to be like, you know what, live to ride another day. But I'll go back by myself and like I'll take my bike and walk it over the section, like to see how my bike responds, like what it feels like. And I, I've been known to sit at a section for 45 minutes, an hour at a time, just so I can clear it. I like your style. Yeah, <laughs> I'm on board with that. Do you have any tips for us, bros, if we're trying to take a special lady in our lives out and get her better at biking? <laughs> Be to patient. Help. Don't make them cry. Um, I've had that happen before quite a few times. <laughs> um, like, if they're scared, it's okay. Like, don't be pushy. Like, my boyfriend now, like, God love him. Like, I'll go ride with him. Like, literally like, every 30 seconds, he, like, looks back to make sure I'm okay. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. Everything's good. Um, but he's just super patient. And, yeah, like, that is just be patient. And, like, ask them why they're scared. Like, show them uh, let them walk their bike through it like don't be afraid to spend 20 30 minutes at a section uh because once they do that a couple of times and they realize like they were able to overcome that and able to ride it then the next time they go to do it they're like all right i just got to be persistent like i got to take my time and i'll eventually get it and i think that's the biggest thing is just like be hard-headed but be patient all right wise words wise words <laughs> and don't make them cry of course and don't make them cry <laughs> That's harder than you might think. And if they want to stop and take pictures, like, <laughs> stop and take pictures of them. You know what I mean? Like, That's impossible. Oh, come on. <laughs> Get a GoPro then. Like, just put it mounted on the front. There you go. But Strava. <laughs> yeah. The segments. I can't even lie. I do love Strava. So. <laughs> uh, we've had some mixed feelings about Strava. I, like, uh, I get it. Like, I'm never one to go, like, find somebody Strava and, like, oh, I need to beat them. Like, that's lame. Like, I've don't. never done that. No, no, no one on this show no, has ever hunted I said some guilt. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, I do, but I see like, I'll go, like my boyfriend, when we first started dating, he was like, he thought that I would like go and like research Strava segments and stuff. And like, that's not what I do. Like, I go for a ride and if I get like a, um, a top nine or something, then like, I remember it. And like the next time I go, I'm like, I should try to go a little bit faster. Mm -hmm. And like, for me, like I did that on um, Hannah Montana last year like Hannah Montana and Captain Jacks and like I would ride it almost every day and I was like I just got to be a little bit faster like I want to beat myself from yesterday and like slowly but surely yeah. like I don't think I am anymore because we had the apex but I eventually it ruined a lot of our Strava game <laughs> oh my gosh yeah I got like I think it's like there's like a over a thousand girls have ridden Captain Jacks and I was like eighth and I was like hell yeah like so just like being able to slowly see myself there's like a feature on Strava where like you can look at just a segment and how many like, when you've ridden it and like how your right. times improved mm -hmm. and like i love to see that bar just like slowly drop down like it's yeah. so gratifying to me no it's great it's probably caused more hospital visits than any other single app in existence <laughs> but that's fine i don't think i've ever gotten hurt chasing a strava segment 
That's how actually- hurt have you gotten on a bike? I think the the crash of that that Nashville's not got the stitches was the worst. I also it it always seems to happen that you crash and it's never a cool story. But I well, do you have any dumb stories? Yeah, I was descending down freaking Rampart Range Road and like just like in a daze, like staring at the sky, and my back wheel just like washed out and it looked like i had like a bullet wound. you could still see the scar right there oh my gosh you can't see this at home but that is a legit scar yeah it was like a bullet wound it's not Uh, an arm it's not anywhere weird people (laughs) i just i tend to dab when i uh Mm -hmm. when i crash i like throw the bike always goes to the right hand side and i just kind of like lean back um it's like my signature (laughs) (laughs) my my signature crash move um so i've hit that spot quite a few times um they make these things called elbow pads. It might be good for, you know, a little or sleeve. Yeah, I guess it's... I should probably be a little more protective. But thankfully, I've I've kind of like bumped my head a couple times, but I've, knock on wood, haven't had any... Uh, is that even wood? I don't even know. It is oh, wood, it is. yeah. It, is. it sounded yeah, like you're metal. Good. Here in the blanket fort, it's only the best. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like metal, but that wouldn't be good. because I, I know, there's there. metal under the table. Oh, that might be what I heard. Um... But yeah, that's probably the worst that I've had. All right. Wow. That's not bad at all. Yeah. I, th- yeah. I think that is because I progress so slowly on things. Like I go and try it over and over again. I don't just like throw myself off of things and hope that for the best. You know what I mean? I have a l- I'm a little bit reserved. And I think that's helped me. There was one time going down Lion's Trail. That's, that's the new one, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, Lion's Trail in Red Rocks. Yeah. Uh, yep. For and those who don't know. Amy. Was it Amy? I know Rachel was there for sure. Um, they some I think somebody like moved a rock like onto the trail where it wasn't at before because I'd ridden it a thousand times and it was at the end of like a four hour ride and like all I could think is that my pedal had to hit that rock and I just went over the bars like flew my bike went over me and I like just stood up and like I had like a little bit of scrape my arm I was like how did I walk away from that like I was I'm pretty sure I was going like twenty two miles an hour down oh my gosh. trail it's and, a fast trail yeah it just came to like complete halt. Ugh. I just got lucky. <laughs> yeah. This is some great stories. I love your methodical process in just journeying and getting over whatever challenges in your way. Uh, I mean, mountain bike's a huge, it's a mental sport. Like a lot of it has to oh, do yeah. with like you, as soon as you start to doubt yourself, that's when you're screwed. Mm. Yeah. Take me through a little bit. I, I want to back up some, but how did you get from Trader Joe's to coaching? Yeah. <laughs> um. So... I actually do. Was there bit. some other drugs involved at this no. point? Was there like an ibuprofen overdose and then no, you made a big life change? Probably. Oh, okay. <laughs> but Rachel, like, stuff. she's mm-hmm. like, she connects everyone to any, anything you can imagine. Uh, and she knew Frank and he had reached out to her, like asking if she had anybody like good for the position. And I just finished up my internship. And so like I've done social media management. I help with Babs, our Instagram and YouTube and I run Costa's Instagram and so they were looking for like a social media manager, community manager type role and I fit the bill and he was like, she's a dietitian too? Like, hey, we can use that in our repertoire as well. Yeah. And I got the job and like, honestly, that job has evolved so much, but it was just crazy to me. Like, I'm like, most people, they finish their internship and like, they don't get into like a sports nutrition field or even into sports at all. They have to end up doing clinical and I I felt so lucky to be able to just be given that opportunity Uh, and it was all because of the connections that I had so yeah yeah, I mean I do I started out like learning like the um, 
like Frank and Fast Cats, like background, like what they promote, what they stand behind and learning about all their training plans and all of that. And eventually I started to talk to athletes more and like I really just got a really good grasp. I mean, I knew about training because I trained my butt off for two years prior to that um, and just slowly started picking up uh, athletes. I don't have a ton of athletes. I think I have like three or four and I have a couple that I just talk with once a month. Um, so yeah, it, it happened slowly. So tell us a little more about Fast Cat for those who don't know. Like what is the... What is all that that you learn in a nutshell? Sweet spotting is where it's at. Um, but just <laughs> learning about how to plan out your year of training. Like that's one of my favorite things about what we do is that we have like $49 training plans and they're six weeks long and you can plan out your entire season without ever having to like hire a coach. Cause the reality is bikes are freaking expensive and like you can't always, most athletes can't afford to hire a coach. So we have like an athlete forum and like I'm basically the brains behind the customer service. So like people reach out all the time and like I can immediately answer their questions. And I think that's really what sets us apart from other competitors say like Trainer Road and um, even Carmichael Training Systems, which are great. They're all great programs, but it's really being able to offer getting faster to all cyclists out there, whether you're a newcomer, like we have beginner plans we have pro plans mm-hmm. so there's really just an option for everyone uh and there's kind of like a sense of community like we have a private facebook group and like i said the athlete forum and so people really get into it and they love to like nerd out about stuff on the forum and that's a lot of yeah. what we talk about in the fast cat podcast is just like all that nerdy stuff um but yeah i mean i kind of do everything over there like it's a, a startup so my role changes a lot <laughs> Where can we find that podcast, by the way? Are you guys all over the place? Yeah, Spotify. Um, we have like the RSS feed. because you... What should people search for if they want to look that up? Just Fast Cat. And it's Fast, F-A-S-Cat, F-A-S-C-A-T, not Fast Cat. Not Fast Cat. Yeah. <laughs> just Fast. Uh, just Fast Cat Cycling uh, Training Podcast, and you'll find us. It was fun going to that website and seeing your name pop up in the chat box. Yep. It's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's great is I can be like riding the trainer in the winter and like, cause I can do it from my phone. And so I'm like, I'm pedaling. I'm just like chit chatting with people about their training, like teaching them how to like set their training zones or like how to modify their training plan. Uh, cause that's a big thing too. Like life happens. And like, mm-hmm. even with like the lower level of coaching, you don't have somebody like adjusting your training plan every single day. And you know, like kid gets sick. Um, you get sick, you got to go out of town for work, things happen. And so like, they're always able to like reach out to us and be like, what should we do? And I can just give them like, I mean, obviously there's a line where you can't be like doing like one-on-one coaching with them, but to give them guidance and uh, assistance and being able to follow their plan better and reach their goals, whatever they may be. What's your your favorite aspect of that coaching right now? (sighs) Probably my one-on-one coaching, I have two athletes that, like, I just have really good connections with. And, like, sometimes, like, even our, like, our coaching consults, they turn into, like, a little bit of a life consult. And and it's just, like, having that bond with people and, like, understanding their goals. And I love, love, love working with athletes where it's just, like, they just want to be the best version of themselves. Like, they're riding because, like, being fast is fun and they want to be able to keep up with their friends. And it's just uh, cycling enhances their life rather than being their life. And being able to be a part of that it's just like i don't know i get the goosey sometimes like being able to share that passion with people is it's incredible what would you say are you know just the top one or two 
biggest misconceptions that people have when they come to training. Like when somebody has been out there riding, you know, they've, they've gotten as far as they've gotten just being themselves and suddenly they decide, I need to add something to this equation to get faster. Most people think that it's just like riding more and like, yeah, riding more can definitely help, but it's making your training specific to your goal event. So like doing like race simulations and, you know, sweet spot intervals, threshold intervals, just depending, like if you're a gravel racer, like a mountain biker, like especially for marathon, you got to be able to sweet spot all day long. So if we have some, um, you know, marathon mountain biker coming to us, who's doing like just zone two and like just VO2 intervals, like that's not going to win them a race. They need to be able to hold, you know, do by two by 30 minute sweet spots, two by 20 minute threshold efforts, because that's where the race is going to be won. So I think a lot of athletes just don't know how to specify their training to reach their goals. You talk about sweet spot. How would you describe what that term means for someone? It's hard but not too hard okay <laughs> so like that where like you could still kind of talk a little bit like you're you're definitely pushing hard your heart rate's up there but you're not like in the red zone you know what i mean you could hold it for a long time and like it takes time to like be able to build that up like i mean some people have some people start like seven minutes of sweet spot and like eventually progress you know what i mean so yeah it's hard but not too hard but you can't do that all year round like once you get closer to your races like for mountain biking obviously like your race starts and like you do need a little bit of like um, like punchy power to like get over technical mm-hmm. sections. Um, so yeah, I, a lot of athletes have a problem of just like riding zone two all the time. <laughs> and like, <laughs> it's like just for fun. And, like, that's great. Like you can be a great like recreational athlete, but if like you really want to train and be competitive, like you got to do some intervals mm-hmm. and that's, and it's hard to one of the things that's hard is like, athletes are like all right they go, they think in their head like it'll be easy and they go out and they do this interval somewhere that doesn't fit the interval that they're doing like you know they need to do a two by 20 minute effort and they go i'm trying to think of an example to palmer park exactly and like <laughs> they get an intersection that. at no, dog like cuts them off or something i'm like go to high drive it's your best friend mm-hmm. um, oh yes yeah so that's my my boyfriend actually he had never really done like structured training like outside and so that was kind of one of the things I got him into. Like I would send him out to high drive to go do intervals and he'd be like, I nailed it. <laughs> like, look at, look at my power. <laughs> um, and then I mean, there's in it, like, it was really actually helpful for me like being a coach and like, I would give him like a workout and he'd go do it. And he would, he did try to do some in Palmer and he just got like distracted. Like there are people on the trail and like, it opened my eyes up. Like if I, if I'm coaching someone, I want them to follow the plan. Like I have to teach them how to follow it. So one of my athletes, uh, he's, his name is Chris. He lives up in uh, the Monument area. I would actually, like, for his simulation rides, I would give him, I would share, like, GPX files with him. I'm like, this mm. is where you mm-hmm. can go do it. Like, you ride this course, and you're going to be set. Because uh, a lot of times, like, that's the barrier when it comes to executing a training plan. It's like, they know they have to do two hours. But like, where am I going? Like, and yeah. You know what I mean? Like they, they just need to like be able to get on their bike and just know, like, it's just, that's, this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going. I'll be out and back and, you know, they don't have to worry about like, when should I turn around or like, you know, like, should I turn left or right at this intersection? So yeah. it's just like mindless. And I feel like for a lot of athletes, that's a huge factor. So what either in the training or the nutrition side, what should people stop doing? Like, what is the thing that Passive you have? rides. What's that? Fasted rides. Oh. 
people are all into like fasting and like intermittent. Like the truth is, is that if you're not, if you don't have fuel in your system, you're not going to, I mean, sure, you could go out and do like an hour zone too. Um, mm-hmm. But the research to this date, like it's, even if there are like physiological adaptations to like the fasted training, it doesn't translate into better performance. Like maybe, maybe the argument can be made for like ultra, like endurance runners. Mm-hmm. Um, but the truth is, is you need to practice fueling like you're going to fuel in a race. And that, like, you have to train your gut. Like, you can't just go out and be able to, you know, down all this food and it'd be okay. Uh, I don't know. Did, were you yeah. right there? I was at the apex and I was like volunteering and people were passing. By. I'm like, eat your carbs. Eat, eat now. <laughs> because like, I could see the look on all of their faces. Like, they're just like a total zombie. Uh-huh. Especially guys. Because. Sadly, y'all can't mm-hmm. utilize fat as well as females can. And so, like, if you barely eat for two, two and a half hours, you run through all of your glycogen stores, and that's when you hit the wall. And so, like, these big, long days, like, immediately after you finish, like, they should be, like, downing carbs. And a lot of people that go eat, like, pizza or, like, other things, like, which do have carbs in them, but they're super high in, like, fat, and it's not really helping their performance. Um, so, yeah, I think just knowing how to fuel and not doing zone two all of the time. <laughs> so <laughs> what great. is your, so then three quick hits, pre, during, and post-race nutrition. What is your plan, like for big race days? I, everybody's different. It's sure. like so hard. That's why I, I said what's yours. If anybody cares to go watch them, I have like three videos on the Fast Cats YouTube channel about uh, pre, po- pre, during, and post-ride nutrition. Um, for me, I'm usually just like, I get race nerves, so it's like a bagel and like some chocolate milk, like something super easy to get down. Um, and then like a gel before the start. And then I'll do, I've tried the goo rock pain. I, I do, I love a lot of goo products, but it mm-hmm. just doesn't sit well with me. So I do like scratch and then I'm a big fan of chews. So I'm aiming for me, it's around like 50 to 60 grams an hour on the bike. Um, for guys, I'm usually like, if you, the more, the better. So there's some guys that can get in 90 grams an hour. And if you can do that, like it's going to help you a ton, especially in those long races. Um, and then immediately after I try to eat something, uh, females need a little more protein post like sooner post-workout. So I'm a huge fan of chocolate milk. Yeah. I, it's good I, I stuff. can have before and after, like I'm all about it. Um, even just like, like Greek yogurt with like some toast or oatmeal really helps to like fight that because you get done sometimes and you're just like so like jittery and like hungry um or even just like chipotle like can't go wrong there love these recommendations yeah Yeah, i know so yeah i think it's just like helping athletes find like what works for them and Mm -hmm. when it comes to race day like it's great just to have like a routine like you know exactly what you're going to eat there's no questions about it and you can focus on just the race at hand yeah Obviously, we're just like skimming the surface of the nutrition world because that, that is something you can just dive. <laughs> yeah, I can nerd out deep, a lot. Deep into. And maybe there'll be opportunity for that sometime. Or maybe we can check it out on Fast Cat Coaching. Um, you can do both. I'm totally down to talk about food any day. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Do you have just uh, a couple more tips you'd say <laughs> uh, for cyclists to live healthier in the nutrition world? Oh, that's hard. Uh, you yeah, don't 10,000 foot view. It's, it's, this actually might make their life easier. So you don't have to have a ton of supplements. People are always wanting to find like a quick fix or like, you know, this magic pill. And like, there are a couple like creatine, like there's other, 
there's certain supplements that have like a lot of research behind them and are great, but like you don't have to take a protein shake. Like you don't have to do all of these crazy things and spend all this money that you could be using for bikes um, to mm-hmm. fuel or the parts. Yeah. To fuel your rides. Like it doesn't have to be complicated. And I mean, it can sound complicated when you first start and I can just start like rambling things off at you. But like at the end of the day, get enough protein, get enough carbs, have a little bit of healthy fats and like you're pretty set. Make sure you eat a lot after big rides if you're wanting to ride again the next day. Um, yeah, I'm a huge, huge advocate of not making it complicated. Yeah. Because some athletes, like, they just want to, like, just like they're training, like, they want everything laid out. And, like, guess what? I lay it out for you. And, you know, you get stuck in the car, you have to commute somewhere for work, and you miss that meal. Like, you need to be able to be flexible and be able to, like, adjust on the fly. So, like, that's why I don't like to be, like, strict, steadfast, like, meal plans. I do, I mean, I designed a whole meal plan uh, for Fast Cat. And a lot of people love that. It helps them to, like, learn how to meal prep and, you know, like, the basics of eating healthy. Uh, but it teaches them things that they can carry over after they finish it. So, yeah, don't make it complicated. Ride your bike, eat lots of snacks, drink coffee, and have fun. <laughs> oh, those are great recommendations. It's a little checklist. That sounds like a training plan yeah. I can get on board with. I mean, it, oh, comes, yeah. it gets a little more complicated when we start talking about females and, like, hormones and, like, yeah. If, Females are were a little bit more difficult, but guys, like it's pretty easy for y'all. Like, get enough protein, eat a lot of carbs. Well, and that's one of the things. Like, Josh and I may be dudes, but we're hoping that ladies are listening to this show. So, what are some of those things? Like, like I mentioned before, like females, mm-hmm. when we burn fat a little bit better, uh, our gut tolerance isn't as good when we're training or right or racing really hard. So, like those super high calorie drink mixes, a lot of times don't sit well with females, and they end up getting gut rot. Um, so usually a little bit higher of like a higher sodium to carb ratio. So like that's why scratch mm. is great. Okay. Um, two, based on like your hormones, like your cycle throughout the month, your carb utilization is better. Uh, some females will notice that like they get bunkier. So like they don't, they're not tapping into their carb sources as well when they're training. So they have to actually eat more on the bike. And then post-exercise females can like, they turn more catabolic more quickly. And so it's very important for them. I would say I advocate for females to have anywhere from like a two to one to three to one carb to um, protein ratio after they finish training. Whereas the guys, I mean, the research is like, it's kind of mixed. You hear different things, but really it, they could eat straight carbs and replace their glycogen stores and then have like protein like two hours later and they are usually fine. But so like for men, I'm typically saying like a four to one carb to protein ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Women were just a little bit different. Like our nutrition has to change throughout the month, and we have to be a little more mindful of our protein intake and timing. Yeah. Oh, you just dropped a lot of wisdom on us. <laughs> yeah, I was really thankful awesome. for all of that. Yeah, that's um, what I'm here for. And uh, while we while we still have you, I'd love to hear. It sounds like so much of your life is wrapped up around nutrition and cycling. Is there anything else that you do just to like escape and? Just enjoy time. That's a good question. I like to cook a lot. Um, I don't like to cook for myself. Like it has to be for other people. Um, and then too, like I love capturing memories. So that's one of the things I help with Babs a lot when I have time. Is I love to take my friends on trips and like record the whole thing and like edit the videos and like make that memory. And yeah, I love social media. I love editing video content. I love podcasting. I like. All of all of that stuff. So 
that's definitely one of my like creative outlets, I would say. I also like graphic design. Um, mm. If you go on Fast Cat's website, not mm-hmm. all of it's mine, but a lot of like, like the product images, like I do a lot of that. It's a great looking website. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> but we have a, um, our, he's like a graphic designer. Ben is his name. He does a great job too. So he helps a lot. Do you, do you have a couple things that you feel like cycling has taught you in life? Like oh. just grand themes? Hmm. To look at the bigger picture, to slow down. Um, that's when I, I, especially during the winter, like during the off-season training, like I love to just ride my bike and go sit and think and be present. That's probably the biggest thing is to be present. Because um, when you're riding, you can't think about what's behind you. I mean, you have to look ahead like, to an extent, but like not too far. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is just to enjoy the moment and to share things you love with those around you. And have you had any wild and silly or wild or silly encounters on the bike when you're out on these big long rides? Oh man, did you see that on my Instagram? No. No. And for <laughs> those who haven't. Um, so one time I was probably here for like a year. Me and my partner at the time, we went to go ride the Rampart Razor course uh-huh. and ended up missing the turnoff for Monument. And like, we'd heard the stories because like people have gotten killed up there and like mm-hmm. Tim, 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 yes. Tim, yeah. um, and so we knew about that and we were riding and we passed and it started to get dark. And like, we're from the South. People are very like hospitable. Like you can like talk to anyone. And so we were like kind of scared. We're, like, we want to see if like this person coming would like bring us back to the turnoff that we missed. And, like, I just remember he, like, had talked to um, the guy, and, like, he turned around, and, like, I could just see on his face, like, something was not right. And he told me, like, the guy was like, I don't want to get y'all more lost than y'all already are. And I was like, that's kind of weird. And I'm just, like, oblivious. Like, I'm like, it's fine. And so we start, like, pedaling back. And then, like, next thing you know, like, if you've been on Rampart Range Road when you start to go towards Sedalia, it's very narrow. Like, there's not really many places to turn around. No. And this dude comes flying at us with his bright zone and like swerves off into like the side like right before us and like we just like looked at each other and like right like rode our bikes in the woods threw our bikes down somehow still grabbed our garments don't know why or how that happened um and literally just ran for like 30 minutes um and we could hear the guy like he like ran into the woods after us and I've never been so scared in my life. We actually end up like, there's no cell phone service out there either. No. So like we kept like trying to find cell phone service after, you know, we couldn't hear the person anymore and ended up calling like the police and they came and got us. And then we had to like, we eventually got home and I was just like, so like traumatized, but it took us like two hours the next day. Like thankfully we took our garments cause then we could like track like the GPS like coordinates. Uh-huh. And it, I mean, it took us two hours. We, we did find our bikes, but man, I'll never forget that experience. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, usually when we ask a question like that, it's like, oh yeah, I saw a bear uh, up in I've never Red Rock. Or but I, I hit I a cow. Like I was about to almost get killed. That's what I... <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right. So we don't have to ask worst day on a bike because yeah, no. that just got answered. Yeah. I don't <laughs> think I'll ever ride past Monument ever again on Rampart Range Road. And I'm even still this day like very like sketched out even riding Rampart by myself because it's just... Mm-mm. <laughs> wow be careful out there people yeah be aware of your surroundings mm-hmm. well yeah i i guess we got that as a worst day on the bike uh, <laughs> yeah. how, about, how about a best day <laughs> do you have a best day mm. 
honestly, that 24-hour race I did, it was so totally, it hurt so bad. Um, but it was just like, it was so much fun to be out there with my friends, like racing with them. And like, it totally sucked. I was so sleep deprived. But it's like a memory that I'll never forget. Like that and just any of like the crazy, stupid adventures that we went and done. We did Cocopelli in four days this uh, this year. Super epic. Way harder mm-hmm. than everybody like describes it as. Lots more hike a bike than you expect. Um, sand. Yeah. Oh my God, the sand. It's so terrible. <laughs> yeah. The heat. I was ba- like it. Our. What time of the year did you do it? So we did it in like early mid May, but Ooh. so we did like it was like partially like guided. So like we were by ourselves all day long, but they had a person mm-hmm. that would like drop off our stuff at like a like a certain point and we yeah. camp there. Um, and he was like, yeah, that's, this is the hottest like tour, uh, like, like trip I've ever done. I was like cold chills, um, hallucinating about to throw up by the end of day two. Cause it was just so hot. Um, and like, it didn't get below like 95 degrees until like 9 PM. It was, it was horrific. Um, but the next day it was chilly and it was beautiful. And like the views were epic. Uh, we also did a uh, white room in a day. Mm-hmm. That was great until mile 70. Um, I, I try to like, like. The part where it goes back up. Uh, yeah. Did you go clockwise or counter? Uh, whichever way that puts, what's the road? Schaefer? We did yeah. Schaefer mm-hmm. at the end. Oh, okay. Um, so that, I've never cramped in my life. Luckily I don't do that a lot, but like my legs cramped. I have, there's actually a YouTube video. If you go watch it, like you see me and I'm like recording myself and I'm just in like pure agony. Like I'm dying inside, (laughs) but I was like, I got to capture this. Like, this is the reality. Like this shit sucks. (laughs) So I love that. These are the stories that came up when we asked you about the best day. Yeah. So far. I like type three fun. Type three. Yes. Maybe maybe it's type two and a half. Not quite three. Yeah. Not quite three. Cause like I didn't die. Two plus. Yeah. Two plus. (laughs) Oh man. Wow. Now that, yeah, I was going to say we've had some real bad best days, quote unquote, but not yet like the beginnings of heat stroke. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's, I've, I've never thrown up from a ride, but like I've got real close. <laughs> now that you should seek out heat stroke. That's, that's, we're throwing up, but you right. should go on big rides. We're I definitely like a fan of those. I just like to push myself. Like I like to find my limit and like I found it that day. That's for sure. <laughs> that's fantastic. So I usually, it's usually when I do things, even races, it's like I did SPT this year and like, Black I was, route? I was, see, I was signed up for the hundred and like two days before I'm like, I know I can do a hundred miles. Like, why am I going to do that? Like, I should just prove to myself that I can do the 144. I regretted it while I was doing it, but like in retrospect, <laughs> I was like, did you regret it before or after mile a hundred? It was around mile 90 Ooh. when I passed that cutoff and I, I looked ahead and I can see that sandy, like steep gravel road. I was like, I am so dead inside. I did get to like, um, a aid station and like this dude he was actually a fast cut athlete and like was chit chat with me and like, like passed me. And I was like, you go ahead, brah. You're about to go into threshold and you're going to hit the wall. And sure enough, we got to that aid station. He's like on the ground, like staring into the oblivion. And I was like, I feel really bad, but I don't feel that bad. So I think I can keep going. <laughs> I told you so. <laughs> I mean, I didn't tell him, but like I knew so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to like act like a know-it-all, but like. I mean, and I think that was like his longest race to date. So it's like a learning experience, like a lot of races for athletes. Like you got to have bad races before you can have the good ones because you got to learn your lesson. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to feel it instead of hear about it. Yep. Yep. 
<laughs> wow. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been just a, a joy to, of course. to learn all this. And yeah. Yeah. Lacey, thanks so much for being on the show. We'll say for the first time, we may have to have you back later on and have a little more of that nutrition nerdery if, uh, if that works out. You should get some like user what they want to know, because sometimes it helps me like to know like I mean, I take my knowledge for granted. So like when athletes mm -hmm. like say something, I'm like, that's so simple. Like in my head. And I'm like, wait, people don't know that. <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah, I like to get questions from people. So if you want to. Well, we're going to have to work on that. If anybody <laughs> uh, is out there and is listening and has some questions, you can always reach Supa on our website at supa.bike. Um, we've got a place where you can throw some comments, throw some questions our way on there. Or Instagram. You can find us on Instagram. Or you could skip us and leave the middleman out of it and go straight to Fast Cat since they've got more answers <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, go on our website and you'll see me usually. There are certain times of the day that somebody else like fills in for me, but for the most part, it's usually me there. Yeah. If and you direct is... the question to me, they'll just like leave it there for me to answer. <laughs> and that's Fast Cat, F-A-S, nope, yeah, F-A-S-C-A-T, coaching.com yep. for those who are interested. Excellent. Awesome. Well, Lacey, thanks again so much. Yes. Pleasure having you on the show. Thank you all for having me. If you want to know more about stand-up pedal action, you can check us out online at supa.bike. That's S-U-P-A dot B-I-K-E. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.